you know, kind of we talked before, running too hard on easy days will ruin the cake. You know, it's, you know, <laughs> it will, you can't have all of the same ingredients. You have to kind of mix them up properly to kind of fit all the pieces together and to make sure each ingredient has a purpose um, and to know kind of the proper dosage so that the cake comes out right and it's not, you know, mush like when I cook. Um, so, and then that plays into the macro. So, so there's a difference between Patrick the coach, Patrick the athlete, and Patrick the chef. Yeah, pa- Patrick <laughs> the chef is fantastic at dialing dominoes. That's my, that's my specialty. Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. My name is George Darden. And my name is Patrick Ollinger. We are endurance athletes and coaches here in the Atlanta area. Um, welcome back. We Thanks for listening. Thanks for your ratings on podcasts. Thanks for your interactions on Facebook. We really appreciate all of those things. Um, I'll remind you, last week we mentioned that, that we're doing a new format to the podcast starting over the course of, of the month of February here. Uh, we had an interview and then we did uh, news and research last week. And then this week, um, we're not going to talk about any news and research, but we're just going to jump directly into the, uh, the topic of the day. Um, and I'll just let Patrick tell us about what that topic is going to be. Yeah, so today's topic is essentially the core training principles that we hold as coaches and kind of as ITL as a group. So I could just tell you, I always love talking to people when they first want to start running or they first want to run their first marathon. And a lot of folks come to me and they say, you know, well, I want to run my first marathon. It's in like 18 weeks and right now I can run eight miles. So I'll just add one mile per week and then I'll be able to run a marathon, you know, or they'll say, you know, I'll just run the same route over and over again and I'll get faster and then I'll be ready to go for a marathon. But there's really a lot more to training for a marathon. There's a lot more to training for a triathlon. It, you know, there is a science to it. And so today we just want to go over some of the kind of core principles, some of the core beliefs that guide us uh, as a group and as coaches when training people for some of these these big events. So that we, you know, um, a lot of people, you probably, you know, through previous episodes of the podcast, you've heard us say a lot of these things, but we want to kind of bring it all together in one single podcast and one single, um, you know, place for you to come and listen to. So if you ever wonder what it is that we believe kind of to the core, this is kind of it right here. And why why it is that we're, we're, we're talking about things that we do. I think that, that if there's one thing, if you've listened to this podcast before, if there's like one big lesson perhaps you have, you have uh, come to, is that there's more to it than you might think. Right. <laughs> that, that um, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of folks who are just like, oh, well, you know, endurance sports, there's not really a whole lot to it. You just kind of get out there and do it. And mm-hmm. as we're going to talk here, well, there is a lot of just doing it. You know, there is a, there's a lot of time that you just have to kind of get out there and, and, and just spend time. On, you know, in the pool or, or on the bike or, or on foot, um, but but it's it's more complicated than that. Right. Um, I think that that a lot of a lot of us uh, grew up, and I, I did not. And I'm fortunate. So I don't think you did either. Um, but I think a lot of us went to high schools where you know the 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 coach who was hired to coach football ends up being the track coach uh, right. or the cross country coach or something like that. And he was a good guy. But he just didn't really know a whole lot about about how to train uh, endurance athletes. Uh, he just kind of figured, okay, now we're going to run for a little while, run harder, uh, and now we're going to stretch. And, right, right. You know, and, and and so so we did want to talk a little bit about that today. 
Um, and so, so with that in mind, we have essentially, I would say, six core training principles here. Now, mm-hmm. when it comes to coaching and teaching and all that sort of thing, there's a lot more principles to it, and we don't need to go into all of those. But, um, but these are sort of the, the physiological, the physical things that, that we tend to think about when, when we're mapping out a schedule and when we're thinking about what we want to do with our athletes. Um, so with that in mind, um, with the train going in the background here, um, we, uh, the first one we'll say is that healthy athletes are fast athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that the most important thing we can do as a coach is to keep our athletes safe and healthy. Um, I often will say to athletes that I have that, that the most important, the best schedule that you can come up with, the best training schedule that you can do, is is the schedule that you can maintain, uh, both physically and mentally. Uh, and the reason for that relates back to what some people call the golden rule of endurance training. Uh, continued training over a long period of time beats sporadic bursts of training. Um, if you can do some amount of work, not necessarily blazing fantastic work, but if you can do some amount of consistent work over the course of, of days and months, um, then ultimately that will pay dividends come race day. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go out and, and, and run too hard or too often um, and, and then you get injured and you have to miss these, these large swaths of time, um, over the long term, in the last analysis, uh, that's not going to be as good for you. Um, and so I think this is one way that coaches actually differ from their athletes. Mm-hmm. And it's one way that personally I can say that I as an athlete differ from from myself as a coach. Yes. George the coach versus George <laughs> yeah, the athlete. And, 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 and there is a yeah. difference. Right. You know, I mean, I, I will sometimes hold myself up as, a, as, as an example as an athlete, even though I don't like to do that. Um, I'll sometimes, I'll say, hey, look, I run my easy runs at this pace, right? This mm-hmm. is two minutes slower per 5K. That, that's, this is what you should do as well. Um, but, but no, I, I understand the, the minds of an athlete because I am an athlete as well. And, and there are a lot of things I do as an athlete that I find myself thinking, yeah, I wouldn't coach my athlete to do this. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 there's things, particularly around injury, mm-hmm. you know, um, that 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 I roll the dice and I make the choice to 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 do some things that maybe I shouldn't do, um, uh, and I wouldn't coach people to do. Um, so what do you what do you have to add to this one? Yeah, so this really is our top priority as coaches to keep athletes safe and healthy, and that there's really two there's two parts to that: health and safety. So health kind mm-hmm. of is pertaining yeah. to making sure we don't overtrain people and making sure, you know, our athletes are healthy. And then there's the safety component. That means making sure we run on the left side of the road and ride on the right side of the road. And that is something, if you've ever run with me, especially on our, like, Brookhaven Easy Runs, I'm constantly telling people, we're going to pick a side and we're going to stay on that side. We're not going <laughs> to float to the center of the road here. Yeah. Um, Which is easy to do on that loop because it's so dark and there's no traffic. And, and for those of you who don't know, it's we're running at 6 a.m. in a neighborhood um, but whenever you're running in a, in a neighborhood, especially if there's no speed humps, it only takes one car to come flying around the yeah. corner. So one thing we are constantly kind of preaching is to run on the left side and ride on the right side because, um, you know, it is, it can lead, unfortunately there has been instances where people, not necessarily in our group where people have been hit and it can be devastating. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and it kind of all ties together when it's like, look, our number one goal is to make sure our runners keep running, our triathletes keep riding, and keep swimming. So really our kind of number one goal is the health and safety of the athletes. Yeah, I, I tend to be um, I tend to be that guy when it comes to ride safety. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and right now we're doing this power-up series on Trainer Road, and, and the final um, 
the very last thing I say on pretty much all of those workouts is ride safe. If you ride outside this weekend, ride safe. Um, and I realize that, that, that I sound like, you know, somebody's dad when I'm saying that or somebody's mom when I'm saying that. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um, because I think there is unfortunately a lot of unsafe behavior that, that cyclists tend to do. Cyclists, mm-hmm. um, can be sometimes their own worst enemies, um, in, in some of the behaviors they do that crossing the yellow line, um, you know, riding against traffic, um, um, riding, you know, 10 abreast, you know, right. um, uh, taking selfies while they're riding, stuff like that, you know, um, that, the I think is really, really dangerous behavior. Um, and, and folks don't, don't kind of put together that when you're on the road with two ton vehicles and drivers are on their cell phones or their GPS devices or, or whatever it happens to be, that, that there is, you know, some danger there and you need to take some precautions. Yeah, even if you're at the crosswalk, um, not to harp on this too much, but I always tell people from a legal perspective, the crosswalk gives you the right of way. But from a physics perspective, when right. a car is screaming across the intersection, that crosswalk ain't nothing but paint on the ground. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, just be careful. Yeah. Um, yeah. We don't need to harp on this too much. Yeah, but. yeah. So, so, so we, we, as, we as coaches are always going to try and discourage our, encourage our athletes to be safe and discourage them from doing unsafe things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's, that's both in terms of, like you say, physical safety and in terms of, of injury and that sort of thing too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, very good. What's the next one? So next one. So the second kind of core, uh, training principle that we have is that it takes time. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're training for a triathlon or a marathon, half marathon, any endurance event, it takes time to train to your peak and to, and to become the best that you can be. And kind of an offshoot of that, or a different way of saying that, is to say consistent training over time trumps sporadic training. Mm-hmm. Okay, ties back into that first one. Exactly. Um, so a lot of times we like to think in the short term when we look at our training goals or our racing goals. We say, "Hey, I want to run fast at Boston in a couple months," or "I want to run fast, you know, at this 5K in a couple weeks." But the real gains come from long-term perspective from kind of training that takes place over years Mm -hmm. so to break it down a bit more from a physiological perspective the most important thing you can do as an endurance athlete is maximize the amount of oxygen your body can transport to your muscles that's really what all this is about all the tempo runs all the easy runs all the interval training in so many ways that's really kind of the core of what we're trying to do um so physiologically aerobic endurance is the most important or one of the most important aspects of endurance training and racing. And to put it simply, that takes time. So what happens when you're going on these easy runs, when you're going on on these training runs, is you're essentially building up a capillary base that's necessary to transport oxygen to your muscles. And this happens over a long period of time. This happens at a very, you know, kind of microscopic level, so to speak. It's not some, a, a change that happens... Um, quickly or something that you notice quickly. So one thing we constantly harp as coaches is that it takes time. When you're setting your goals, yes, have some short-term goals, but also have some long-term goals to say, look, you know, we can help you maybe achieve your goals in the short term to run, you know, a fast marathon or a fast race in 16 weeks or 18 weeks. But it's also good to think about where can this take me 18 months from now? Because that's where you will really start to see a benefit is, you know, Train now and then see a benefit 18 months later. Yeah. And then conversely, what you're doing now is a reflection of what you've done over the past 18 months or so. Mm-hmm. So it really kind of helps to kind of take a long perspective and a long-term goal or a long-term view when looking at your goals. Because the aerobic journey is a multi-year process. I mean, you're making changes at a small level. You're adding mitochondria to your cells. You're adding red blood cells 
to your blood so you can carry more oxygen. You're adding blood vessels and capillaries so you can get more blood to your muscles. Um, you're increasing the efficiency your body moves oxygen from your lungs into your blood. All that happens very slowly. And it ha happens by putting in the miles, by putting in the time, just and just kind of consistently um, hitting your training. So it's not the same as... Uh, you know, kind of saying, all right, I'm going to blow this out and I'm going to have a couple intense workouts or a couple of intense runs and then I'll see improvement. It's a lot. It takes time and the real improvement comes from putting in consistent training over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny. You, you, when, when we first, when you were talking about the intro to what we were getting ready to talk about today here, you said somebody comes to you and they have, they, they have a marathon in 16 weeks and the very first thing I thought of was, 16 weeks is not enough. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and this, of course, is what I had in mind when you said it. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if, if you're looking across the finish line of, of, of a marathon, can you, can you get there in 16 weeks? Sure, absolutely. Um, but but I, I much prefer when athletes come to us and say, okay, let's talk about what we're going to do over the course of the next year. Yes. Um, and, and that sort of thing. Um, come to me a year out. And that way we can ensure that you can have the best one. Now, I'll add to this, too. I think that... that, that there's a couple of things that, that make folks be less patient or, or, or inspire mm -hmm. people to be a little bit less patient when it comes to these sorts of things. Because, I mean, essentially that's, that's at the heart of what you're talking about mm -hmm. is being patient. Yes. That, like, letting, you know, trusting your training, spending the time. Um, you have to really be patient and you have to kind of let that happen, right? And so I think there's a couple of things that, that compromise our patience with that. Uh, one, and we don't need to digress into this, is, is just sort of the nature of, of the world, the United States in 2018. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that, that you know, speed is good and speed is fast and things happen very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the, the news cycle is very fast. You know, right. The, the, the attention span can, can be short. Um, and I don't, I don't buy into a lot of the, the people these days. Have, I, I don't like that sort of thinking. I don't like talking about that sort of thing. But I do think that, that there, there are a lot of things that you can get instantly. Right. Um, and, and this remains something that you cannot get instantly. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think that that, um, that sort of patience can kind of be hard to come by because you don't have to have that sort of patience with a lot of other things. Mm -hmm. um, to me, by the way, that makes it all that much more worth doing. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, um, that, that, that you have to have the patience. The other thing I think that, that sort of makes us want to be less patient with this is that um, somebody who has never done anything is going to improve very quickly. Right. Um, and so I see with my with the high school athletes I used to coach. So I coached for years and years and years. You have somebody who's never done this before. They would go out and they'd run their first 5K in 27 minutes. And by the end of the year, by the end of cross-country season, they'd be under 20 minutes for 5K. Um, and that wasn't because I was a brilliant coach, although I was. Um, it was because um, it was because they'd never done anything. Um, and so they get this massive improvement. Um, but as time goes on, that, that those improvement margins get smaller. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that... that, that uh, folks say, "Well, yeah, I improved you know, seven minutes off my five k my first year. Shouldn't I be a world record holder by next year?" No, it's not really the way that it right. works. Right? Yeah. Um, and so, so you, you you do have to continue to be patient, and continue to trust the training over time. Yeah, and to kind of to harp on that too. So, a lot of we've talked about before about how you build aerobic endurance through a lot of sub maximal running, right? Right. It's a lot of easy runs. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of just putting in kind yeah. of easy mileage. Um, I think roughly 75 to 80% of like marathon training, for example, is just easy mileage. And about 60% of triathlon training should be. Right. But it, it kind of physiologically, to kind of go back, 
it kind of creates a lot of small changes in your body that are hard to notice in the short term, but they're impossible to ignore in the long run. Yeah. So you won't see yourself all of a sudden see vast improvement like that new 5K runner you know, in high school. But over time, you'll look back and you'll say, wait a minute, two years ago I ran the same race and was significantly slower or I found it significantly harder. Mm-hmm. Um, so you really need to take a kind of a patient approach to say, okay, where do I want to be in a year? Where do I want to be in three years, et cetera? Because aerobic development takes a long time. It happens over a long period of consistent running, week in and week out, year in and year out. Uh, it doesn't happen through one run or one training block of run. Mm-hmm. That's why runners, they say that they improve for roughly 7 to 14 years mm-hmm. from when they start, based yeah. on the age which they started, um, the intensity of the training, injuries incurred, things like that. So it's kind of nice because we are a sport where you can really take a long-term perspective and say, I want to keep improving for a long period of time. This is not something where I want to blow myself out for a couple of years and then be done. Mm-hmm. And as somebody who is far beyond that 14-year mark, <laughs> yeah, as somebody who's 10 years beyond that 14-year mark, I can say that there's still a lot of satisfaction to be gained um, because because now it's a matter of kind of holding on, um, yes. you know, and, and, and running well relative to, to what my competitors run and things like that. Um, it's, it's no longer a matter of saying, okay, well, I, I want to PR. Right. Um, I don't really PR anymore, um, nor will I. I. I still have kind of a softer marathon PR that I like and so there's an outside possibility I still might get that someday but we'll see mm-hmm. um, but no my, my, my days of PRing and anything below the below the marathon are, are over and that's okay um, and I, you actually touched on a kind of another point too this is also kind of a nice foundational principle because a lot of amateur athletes and everyday runners like you and me and a lot of triathletes we only have so much time we can dedicate to running and training mm-hmm. we have other things going on we are you know we we have other responsibilities. We have nine to fives. So it's kind of nice that we can just be consistent with training. You know, we have a lot of other important responsibilities that are waiting for us at the end of a training session. So we can't blow ourselves out of the track every Tuesday morning because we're going from the track straight to putting on, you know, our suit and tie and having to be at work. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of nice that we have something that, you know, will continue to improve simply through consistent training. Yeah. I mean, you kind of take the mindset of like an index investor where you just put a little in at a time mm-hmm. and then see the returns kind of compound on themselves. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's also important to mention with this one that there is um, there is a, a sort of a trend inside of endurance training right now, particularly inside of triathlon, mm-hmm. uh, a time-crunched trend. Yes. Um, you know, and, and Chris Carmichael, who was Lance Armstrong's coach back in the day and the founder of CTS, um, I mean, I'm looking at a couple of books on my shelf right now that are, that are by Chris Carmichael. Um, mm-hmm. But um, he, uh, he's a good coach, but, but he's made a lot of money lately on, on the so-called time-crunched athlete. And he has a book about cycling and a book about, about uh, triathlon of time crunch. And essentially what he says is that you go super-duper hard all the time for about eight weeks, and then you take like four weeks super easy and... and you're going to improve that way, um, and I and I think that that there we can talk about that particular approach some other time, um, but um, but I think that's kind of part of it as well. Is that that oh I, I can still do this? Well, you you can't totally do it. Right. <laughs> it's, it's still going to take a long time, and so so even I mean and I, I would think Chris Carmichael would argue, even if you're going to take that approach, you're still not going to reach your full potential 
right. except for over the course of, of months and months and years and years. Right. And so, so even if you're taking his approach on, on the micro level, on the macro level, it still takes a long time to, to build that engine mm-hmm. um, and to create that, that, that foundation. And, and one final caveat, the big limiter of building that aerobic base and of kind of improving year out, year in and year out is injury, mm-hmm. right? Um, so again, tying back to that first one. Right. So to be clear, volume matters, how much you run matters, and that's kind of key to the athlete. But one thing the athlete and the coach have to figure out is how much they can do, how much the athlete can put in without too big of an injury risk without putting themselves at too high a risk of injury. And that's going to vary from runner to runner, from athlete to athlete, because there's not a magic number that needs to be hit. There's not a magic number um, that kind of increases injury. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the human body can adapt to just about any stress when given enough time. That's mm-hmm. kind of what running is. That's what endurance athletics is. Mm-hmm. Um, and in many ways, the more volume you can put in, the better. There are diminishing returns, but it doesn't change the fact that Wherever you are, the best way to improve your aerobic base, to improve your performance, is to put in consistent work. Mm-hmm. And part of putting in consistent work is making sure you don't hurt yourself, right? So then you can continue to put in the work week in and week out. Yeah, no big surprise we circle back around to that so-called golden rule. That's the reason why they call it the golden rule. Right. You know, continue training over a long period of time, uninjured, healthy, uh, beats these sporadic bursts. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about the third thing. Uh, the third thing is something that... that um, we talked about with Pete um, Ray a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. We talked about last week when we were going through with the uh, the research and stuff, um, and that's the, the the idea of rest and recovery. Uh, you recall that Pete said something to the effect of uh, rest is a fundamental part of training, not the absence of training. Yes. Um, and and um, I mentioned to him that uh, during that interview that that so many people and we and we talked about last week when we were talking about losing a little bit of fitness um, uh, after you when you're recovering from a marathon. Um, that a lot of folks kind of feel feel like, oh yeah, I just made this big PR. I want to keep on going. I want to keep on you know pushing it forward and all that sort of thing. They don't want to rest. They don't want to relax. Um, uh, moreover, and, and and that's on the macro level. On the micro level, a lot of people don't ever want to take easy days. Um, mm-hmm. You know, kind of circling back around to what you said just a second ago, about eighty percent for a runner needs to be done at a fairly easy pace. About sixty percent for a triathlete needs to be done at a fairly easy pace. Um, and and. Um, in order to build that engine over the course of time, you cannot go hard every single day because you physically and mentally can't sustain that. Um, and so, so taking things easy and taking recovery periods when they come, it's not the absence of training. It's, it's, it's part of training. It's what you do. It's what enables you to sustain the training over the course of months and years so that ultimately you will be able to put in the volume over time that you can um, and, and over time reach, uh, reach your full potential. Um, what do you have to say about that one? Yeah, it's you know it, it also gets back to our conversation last week about the, one of the big differences between professional athletes and amateur athletes is the professionals recover yeah. as much as they train. Yeah, um, they spend as much time you know in recovery. Like I think Pete even said last week or a couple weeks ago that he ha- has mandatory nap time for his athletes. <laughs> I mean because recovery is a part of training. Yeah, I mean it's. It doesn't feel that way. We like to call it rest or like we call it off days, but it really is a key component of um, training. And in many ways, think about it like you're you're baking a cake. If you you do nothing but train and you never rest, you never recover, it's almost like you're missing a key ingredient to that cake and you just, you know, have the same thing over and over again. You really need to have kind of the right right building blocks. Yeah. Um, Andy Potts, who was um, an Olympic level swimmer, um, mm-hmm. I think I want to say he finished fourth in the Olympic trials, and so he didn't quite make the Olympic team. But 
as many of you know, the the final at the U.S. Olympic trials is more competitive than the actual final of the Olympic Games in swimming. Right. Um, and you could say the same thing for, for sprinting on the track as well. Um, and so so he didn't quite make the Olympic team um, and then became a triathlete and and is became a 70.3 world champion and has finished in the top 10 at Kona a few times and has been the first out of the water, as you would imagine, at Kona mm-hmm. a few times as well. Um, but he's well known for a variety of things, one of which is he sleeps about 11 hours a night. Right. 11 hours a night. And he has a family, but but his job is to be a pro triathlete, and, and uh, his family, his wife, they recognize that, that okay, this is part of it. So I'm going to go to bed at, at, uh, at 10 or 9, mm-hmm. and I'm going to sleep until 8 in the morning. Now, even the idea of sleeping until 8 in the morning, I mean, the rest of us, I mean, we're at work by that right. time. But he wakes up. You know, has his and then he goes to work because his work is is that training, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the ability to do that um, is, I mean, that's that's the reason why he's able to achieve at the level it is. Um, right, it takes that time. Um, and so, yeah, and I, I know I've heard you say before, um, improvement only comes when athletes are allowed to recover mm-hmm. from the stressful workout. It's oh, not yeah. just the, the stress of the workout or the stimulus of the workout that matters. It's the recovery. Yeah. from that stress. I mean, yeah. you are breaking down muscles, but it's not the breaking down that matters. It's the rebuilding stronger that matters. Right, right. totally. Absolutely. And that's and that's 100% accurate. And, and you know, going back to something you said last week about LeBron James, you know, and the, the massage he gets after games and all that sort of thing, nobody's tweeting about that. Right. You know, and, and no, nobody's, nobody, you know, uh, you know, we talked about Strava last week. I, I put my super hard Strava workouts on. People give me kudos on those. I don't put, <laughs> you know, uh, my massage therapy on there. Right. You know, I, I, I don't put the physical therapy on there. I don't, I don't put my stretching on. I mean, the, the, the stuff that I do in order to recover and to promote my recovery, uh, those things don't go on there. The easy runs do. Um, right. But, but a lot of the stuff that we do, it's just... The, the exciting thing, I get a far more kudos for a big race or a big workout than I do for the easy stuff. Yeah, I mean, we're not going to see a LeBron James Nike commercial from just sleeping <laughs> for 30 seconds. Uh, but that really is a key. In fact, he almost no athlete has been at their peak as long as he has at, in a sport, in a quick twitch sport. I mean, yeah. Jordan didn't last this long. Um, yeah. Shaq did, but that's because Shaq was just tall. So when you can just like <laughs> drop the ball in the ba- basket, you're good to go. Yeah. But... He, back when he was young, back before he was even with the Miami Heat, he made it a, a goal of his to sleep, I think, like you said, 11 to 12 hours per night. I can't remember the exact number. Mm-hmm. And I remember he wore, like, the fitness watch, and he had people literally tracking that he slept 11, 12 hours yeah. a night. Yeah, yeah. Um, to kind of to kind of bring it full circle. I mean, they, you don't see the recovery part on Instagram, on Nike commercials, etc., or on Strava, but it, it is just as important as the training itself. I mean... We, we we say you don't see it on commercials. I I, I want to say there was a commercial with some some pro athlete sleeping. If you if if, if you're a listener and you remember it, remember, tell me what it is. I did see an art installation one time um, uh, when we were in London of David Beckham sleeping. That was literally the whole the whole thing. It was a video of him sleeping. Um, That's fantastic. Uh, yeah. Um, but uh, but then there was um, there was a commercial for Michael Phelps. I think it was an Under Armour. Under Armour, yeah. And and in that and it was a great commercial. It had that song by uh, by the Kills playing in the background, "The Last Goodbye," um, and uh, it it showed him getting cupping in there. Mm-hmm. You remember that? And and all of these people, all these articles popped up in Runner's World and stuff like that, where people were like, "What the hell is that thing that he was doing?" And I was like, "It's cupping. You don't know what cupping is, right. um, but that's just the part they don't normally show." Right. You know. 
But anyway. And when you're training for something, especially if you're trying to take your fitness to the next level, you're throwing a lot of new stimulus at your mind, at mm-hmm. your body. You're almost like a growing child. You're almost yeah. like a growing baby. <laughs> and, you know, to anyone who has kids or has been around kids, what do they do a lot? Cry. Well, yes, that. They, <laughs> so that we, we won't encourage. Break things. <laughs> uh, but they sleep. Yeah. When it's time for them to sleep, you know, they sleep. Yeah. <laughs> As I'm sure you are more than aware of. Um, And that's part of it. You know, when you're throwing a lot at your body like we're doing with training, recovery is a key component of that. For sure. And we also, I do want to also throw this disclaimer. We also are saying this. We totally get that not everybody has a schedule that allows them to sleep great all the time. Yeah, of course not. And I am the world's worst at getting enough sleep. I will get I will get plenty of sleep on Monday and then mm-hmm. Tuesday night stay up all night working on something. So I'm the world's worst at this, but that's that breakdown between athlete and coach we were talking about. Exactly, before. Patrick the athlete is different from Patrick the coach. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And 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 I think too that this is um, and so again all of these things are integrated. Um, mm-hmm. All these different principles are integrated. Um, but when you're thinking about the amount of volume that 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 you're going to assign to an athlete or when we think about the amount mm-hmm. of volume that, that we assign to an athlete or or when you as an athlete if you if you're designing your own schedule when you're thinking about how much volume can you do um and you're thinking about how much can you sustain over time because again that sustaining things over time and staying healthy that's the most important thing you also got to think about okay what is what is a schedule what is a routine in which i can have enough recovery mm-hmm. if you are truly if you're commuting and you have kids and you work eight hours a day, right? Um, or you work irregular shifts. Yeah, you're working regular shit. Yeah, and 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 if you say all those sorts of things, and you say, okay, now I'm going to train. Um, you have to say, okay, where are you going to sleep? Where 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 are you going to recover? Um, and, and that matters. Um, and now again, to kind of reiterate back and circle back to what we very first said, we've I think we've we've kind of talked a lot about sleep here, and that's good. Um, and I, I kind of got started by that by talking about Annie Potts, but but. This also means going easy on your easy days. Right. Um, this also means this also means in your workouts, um, if you have a, a workout that has hard parts and easy parts, you do your hard parts hard and you do your easy parts easy. Um, my athletes have heard me say that so many times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are workouts like the ones that Pete Ray talked to us a couple weeks ago where you float the rest. That should not be every workout that you do. Right. Um, and most of the workouts that I give athletes, you're running hard in your hard parts and, and you are shuffling your easy parts. Mm-hmm. Um, you you are going just barely more than a walk on your easy parts, and, and that's the way it should be. Um, yeah, and it all ties back to the first two principles as well, because your whole goal is to be consistent, which is kind of the thing we the second yep. principle we talked about. Yeah. And in the whole in the way you be consistent is you try to avoid injury, and mm-hmm. you try to keep yourself safe mm-hmm. and healthy, because mm-hmm. a safe and healthy athlete over time will pass the person that blows themselves out. Oh yeah. Rest for six months, blows themselves out. Um, the whole goal is. In many ways, I always talk about the whole goal of sustainability and consistency. For sure. And just kind of keep putting in the work and um, the, the, the benefits compound on themselves. For sure. You know, as you, as you build an aerobic base, you're also able to run more miles with less injury. For sure. So, Talk to us about what's next. Yeah, so the fourth one, and it all kind of ties back. Fourth principle is listen to your body. <laughs> you want to run more miles, but there needs to be a dialogue between the ambition in your mind and the muscles and tendons in your body, right? You need to listen to your body when you're training. Um, you must. You really need to try to always be aware, and as an athlete, what's happening in your body? Is this hard? Is this easy? Okay, this is supposed to be a tempo piece, but holy smokes, I am trying to hit tempo pace, and I am breathing like it's a 5K race. 
pay attention to those signs because improvement is not linear, right? We, you know, a lot of times when we write schedules and we say, okay, we want to do this on a track work on a Tuesday, this tempo run on a Thursday, this long run on a Sunday, we are offering what we think is the best um, plan to get you to a certain place to kind of stimulate a certain change in your body. But everybody's different. And the human body is complex, and a person's life is complex. So you need to always kind of listen to yourself. If you haven't been getting enough sleep, that tempo run may be too hard. Or, you know, you may need to adjust your pace because a tempo effort may not fall in line with the tempo pace you were prescribed on a running calculator, if right. that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I know one thing we always talk about a lot is we usually don't prescribe certain paces. But instead we say, run at this effort, right? Because... That's what's really important, that you run at a tempo effort versus, okay, your PR in the half marathon is this, and your PR in the 10K is this, therefore your tempo pace is this exact minutes per per mile, so to speak. So we often talk about, we have a pace range, but let's try to talk about what is a tempo effort, what is a steady effort, what is an EC effort, and then how can we run at that effort on a given day to kind of give the response that we want in our body. So what do you? What's your takeaway from that, or what? Yeah, what are your thoughts I, on that. I, I think that the um, one thing that kind of springs to mind is that that for me, um, having run for a long time and having developed a feel for how certain paces feel like in the era before Garmin's and stuff. Exactly. Um, it it um, I have a pretty finely tuned sense of how hard things should feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and and. Um, if I say, okay, I'm going to go out and run 400s at 5K pace, I know what 5K pace feels like, regardless of the fitness that I have and regardless of what that actual speed is. And you know, regardless of all those different factors, like you were just saying, the yeah. accumulated fatigue, the, the surface you're running on. The weather. Um, the weather, the fatigue level, all of those things, regardless of those, I know what a 5K feel, pace feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, I know what a tempo pace feels like. Um, and, and I've developed those over time. I think that that um, there are certainly, and people sometimes joke with me about this, even though I don't think it's very funny. Um, <laughs> that, 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 that I'll say, you know, do do a four hundred to five k pace, and then do a four hundred at mile pace, and a four, you know, or something like that, um, in a workout, and they'll be like, ah, I just run the same speed for everything. Ah, ha 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 ha. You know, well, over time, if you make an effort to actually, you know differentiate those speeds, you will develop a sense of what those speeds are. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you will develop a sense of those things. I, I'm sympathetic to that. Um, when I first learned how to swim only uh, you know less than a decade ago in order that I could do triathlons, um, the, the coaches would say, here, do this at you know zone three effort, do this at... And I was like, I just, have, I just swim. Right. That's all I can do. But over time, by, by trying to put in the varying efforts and by trying to and experiment with it, I eventually got to a place where, where I have a better sense of what those efforts are now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so for runners and for cyclists, if, if you, if you spend the time actually trying to do those things rather than just being like, Oh, I just have hard and fast. I just have two speeds. Um, then, then, then you'll, you'll in fact develop those things. Um, yeah. And the people who do well in races are people who have the ability to, ability to self-regulate. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, I mean, so think about like if you're in the South and you're training for the Chicago Marathon, you can't simply use marathon pace and say, all right, I'm going to hit this exact minutes per mile every training run or every marathon pace run. Right. So you start to learn what does marathon pace feel like in right. the summertime, right. in the hills that maybe you won't have in Chicago. Right. And that really helps you regulate so that in Chicago, if, mm-hmm. for example, mm-hmm. it becomes war- it is warmer than you expect, mm-hmm. you can adjust a bit more appropriately. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it, it really helps you out. And you mentioned the GPS watch. I was similar to you where I came of age in high school and college where you just had a Timex and the coach said, run 40 minutes easy. Yeah. All right, now 60-minute long run or okay. two-hour long run. And so it's interesting to see, you know, the GPS is great. I love having all that extra information. But a GPS is great for describing what happened during the run. It should yeah. not prescribe what you do do during I, the run. I, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, whenever, whenever anybody asks me, okay, so what screen should I have on my GPS? And like, what do you currently have? A lot of times they'll say, well, I have I have current pace on there a lot. Um, nobody who's who's achieving at a high level, nobody has what their current pace is on their watch. Not only because it's wrong, but also because they recognize how important it is to to, to learn how to run by feel. Um, I, I had an exchange with somebody on Facebook a couple of years ago where, where she said something about um, about um, the, the, the people at the front at Kona, she was talking about the mm-hmm. Ironman World Championship, um, about them having their average pace on their watch. I said, they don't have our average pace on their watch. In fact, Sebastian Keenley, who had won that year, who won in 2014 at Kona, doesn't even wear a watch. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally does not wear a watch. That's fantastic. Um, and, and, and just runs the whole thing based on how he feels after he gets off the bike. Um, and so, so, um, you know, elite athletes, you're not going to see them checking their watch to see what their average pace is. Mm-hmm. They might check their watch to see what that last mile was, to check their splits, see how they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, but they're not, they're not looking at their current pace on there. They're running by feel, um, cause they developed those senses of what different paces feel like and how a race should feel. Exactly. Yeah. It, the watch is a fantastic tool for, t- for placing your run into context and saying, okay, now that you've run that effort. This is what it looks like, mm-hmm. you know. This is what it is mm-hmm. on the watch. Yeah. Uh, but in the moment, focus on what that effort felt like. Yeah. Um, it's you know, it's important to run the appropriate pace and to better kind of build your trust in your internal clock, so that when you're in the race, you can kind of regulate appropriately. Yeah. And I should say too, you know, again, I guess a theme is developing here about the breakdown between the athlete and the coach. Um, this is the mistake I made in Chicago. Um, yeah, you know, that's a great and, example. And, and, yeah. And we we talked about this at, at great length, but in, in Chicago. I, I should have run that race as I normally do. I should have run that race by feel. I should have said, "This is what a marathon is supposed to feel like." But I didn't do that because I was stubborn and because I was too hung up on my goals and and uh, and I for a variety of reasons that we've already talked about at great length. Um, and and so instead, I went out there and, and tried to run by pace. I wasn't looking at my average pace on the watch, but but I was looking at my mile splits and saying, "Oh, that was too fast. Oh, that was too slow. Was, you know, I need to be running faster." No, I, I should have been running based on what a marathon should feel like, and I didn't do that. That was a mistake I made. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, that's some development, <laughs> that, that difference between, you know, the mistakes we sometimes make. I will say all this also, um, and, and I've said this before on this podcast, it's, it's, there is nothing better in endurance running when you go out and, and you've done your training and you've tapered well and you get in that target race and you run faster than you thought you were going to, um, mm-hmm. and you cross the finish line and you, and you're kind of blown away that you ran as fast as you did. I, and that happens, that only happens if you're running by feel. Right. <laughs> you That's know? a great point, um, yes. The, the, because, because what happens is, I mean, to imagine in the scenario that you just described, that, that somebody spends all summer long in Atlanta, in the hills, in the heat, training for Chicago. They go up there. It's one of those perfect Chicago days, which sometimes happen, um, which happened not in 2017, but in 2016. 2016, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's flat, and there's no wind, and it's cool and overcast, and, mm-hmm. and you go flying through it. Um, mm-hmm. But you're still running by feel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had that. I had that at the the mm-hmm. Athens half marathon in 2016. That, right. that I had this this race where I literally went two minutes faster than my goal, um, but I knew when I went through those first few miles and they were faster than I thought they were going to be. I was like, well, I'm running the pace I'm supposed to be. 
Mm-hmm. This, this is what a half marathon is supposed to feel like. Yeah. Um, and then I end up running two minutes faster than my goal. And that, this, those are the best moments, I think, in, 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 in running and certainly, I think, in athletic events in general. Yeah, it's the moments you live for. So to sum it up, uh, you know, don't take thousands of years of human evolution and throw it by the wayside <laughs> because your Garmin tells you to run 1% faster. Um, a Garmin is a good feedback mechanism, but you don't want to be a slave to it. Listen to your body when training and racing. And always, you know, that is always the most important feedback mechanism there is, is what your body's telling you. Yeah, and I appreciate what you say, too, about about that the, the Garmin is really good in reflection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, by all means, get that data, put it on Strava, add it to the heat map, um, you know, and, 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 and reflect on that data and what that means. Use that to track your overall fitness mm-hmm. trends. But, but yeah, don't, don't be a slave to it while you're running. Um, all right, so the next one um, has to do with something we've talked about a little bit before, too, and, and that's the idea of, of periodization, um, that, that every training run and every training period should point to a much larger target goal. Um, now, there, there's two aspects to this, I suppose. There's a micro level and the macro level. Um, mm-hmm. And again, we've talked about these both before. Uh, on the micro level, it's that every workout needs to have a purpose, um, that, that um, your you shouldn't just be going through the motions that, 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 that a workout should have some sort of bona fide result that comes from that workout. Now that could be, um, you know, boosting your max VO2. That could be increasing your coordination. That could be, uh, increasing your efficiency, whatever it happens to be. Um, it should have some sort of specific purpose. A workout's purpose could be something social. It could be mental rejuvenation, um, and that's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just that you want to make sure that you're mindful of why every workout is on the schedule. Um, you don't want to have just these puff days where it's like, why'd you do that? Well, I don't know why I did that. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, that every day should have some sort of, of, of purpose. Um, and, and similarly, whatever that purpose is should be in line with, with whatever the workout is. Right. You know, if, if, if your purpose that day or if your stated purpose that day is to improve your running at lactate threshold, you shouldn't be doing, you know, 400 meter repeats at VO2 pace, at 5K pace, right, right with a minute rest, you know, doing Patrick's favorite workout. Um, that's mm-hmm. not the goal of that race. That's mm-hmm. not the goal of that workout, right? Um, uh, and so, so whatever your goal is, um, you should make sure that, that each individual workout goes in that. And then, of course, on that macro level, that larger level, um, is that every training block needs to be leading towards that much bigger goal. Um, the, the, the peaking matters. You need to make sure that, that if your goal is to run well at the Boston Marathon, that, that you, don't, um, you don't inadvertently um, uh, put out all your eggs in the Polar Bear 5K basket. Right. right? Um, that, that you want to make sure that you're always keeping your eyes on the prize. Um, and... and um, that's an important part of it as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what can you add? Sure. So I'll start with the first one. Um, we've talked before about how each... The, the, tra- mi- the micro level. The micro level, yeah. yes. Thank you. Yeah. But how each training day has a purpose. It needs to have a purpose. You need Your goal is to kind of improve a certain physiological system or to you know improve some mental aspect of running. Hey, I need a, a, an outlet or I need, you know... Yeah. I just want to see people, and that's so, legit too. By the way, yes, uh, I, yeah, I mentioned that on purpose, and, and I've we've talked on this podcast. I've talked on this podcast before. Patrick joined me a, a year or two ago about the alignment of the mind and the body, mm-hmm. and so I am hugely a believer um, in in saying that that if there's a mental benefit to doing something, you do that. You know, even earlier uh, today when we were talking about you know having a, a, a routine is a good routine if you can physically and mentally sustain it. Yes, um, you know, there's. 
I had an athlete I, I mentioned before who, who within the last month reached out to me and said, I know this is a really good training schedule because it's what worked for me for Chicago, but I, I, I get kind of tired looking at it. I'm yeah. Like, All right, let's find something new. Yeah. Anyway, keep going. Sorry. Yeah. So you need to go into each training session kind of with a clear understanding of what is the purpose of this day? Is the goal to get in a recovery run? Is it to continue to build an aerobic base? Is it to push lactate threshold? Is it to hang out with my friends, mm-hmm. catch up with people that I see on a weekly basis, and to hear about their new projects or what's going on with them? That is very important to know because that really does help dictate what your run should be for that day, what your pace should be like, what your effort should be like. For sure. And then how you feel. Um, and all of those are legitimate outcomes. Right. Um, you know, kind of we talked before, running too hard on easy days will ruin the cake. You know, it's, you know, (laughs) it will, you can't have all of the same ingredients. You have to kind of mix them up properly to kind of fit all the pieces together and make sure each ingredient has a purpose, um, and to know kind of the proper dosage so that the cake comes out right and it's not, you know, mush like when I cook. Um, so, and then that plays into the macro. So, So there's a difference between Patrick, the coach, Patrick, the athlete and Patrick, the chef. Yeah, Patrick the chef is fantastic at dialing dominoes. That's my that's my specialty. Um, and then that plays into the kind of larger purpose where you within a training block you say, okay, for the first month you may say our goal here is to build an aerobic base. Okay, our goal here is to build um, your VO2 max or to build your lactate threshold. And it all kind of points to one big ambitious goal that you're trying to achieve. Um, and so it's always important to know why you're doing the things you're doing. There needs to be a vision for what you're trying to accomplish. And then you need to be able to take consistent steps to help you achieve that vision. Mm-hmm. For sure. For so, sure. yeah, it's, it's all important. It's not as simple as going out for a run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as, then, the, oh, go ahead. I was going to say as Forrest Gump did, so to speak. <laughs> well, his goal was to... His goal was to, wasn't he dealing with the tragedy when he went out? It's been a long time. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. Um, anyway, I know that he just kept running. Um, yeah. All right. Um, and then final one. So the final principle, and this is a big one, and that is endurance sports are communal sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of us have heard of the book, The Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner. Mm-hmm. Um, but endurance sports are only individual sports if you let them be. Right. You know, Running is only a solo sport if you let it be. Mm-hmm. For me personally, I can tell you the probably the greatest joy in running and in being an endurance athlete is the people that I meet. The the people I get to spend time with during workouts, the people I get to practice with, the people I get to meet during race in races. And within our group, within our coaches, we constantly want to have people run together. We want to constantly stress the communal aspect of endurance athletics because it's a really unique community. It's not necessarily a competitive one, right? Like we kind of root for each other. You know, it's, it's not a zero-sum game where, you know, if you, George Darden, run faster, I, Patrick Ollinger, lose points or mm-hmm. lose value right. as an athlete. Right. And then, so that's kind of one aspect of it where it's a very much a communal um, sport. It's an activity where you can kind of really uh, facilitate a, an encouraging environment. But also, just individually and selfishly, there is no better way to improve consistency in training than to find a running partner or a running group. Um, it is so much easier to get up and get in a workout if you're doing it with the group. There's nothing like another person holding you accountable or another person maybe showing you a better way to kind of help build your own capabilities and build your own um, skills as an endurance athlete. Yeah. I can tell you there are so many times where my alarm will go off on like a Thursday morning, for example, 
And I'll think to myself, you know, I would really rather be sleeping right now. But then I think, you know what? I want to go see these people. So I'm going to get up and I'm going to do it. And I end up making it. Because when the question becomes, do you want to see these people? The answer is yes. If the question is, do you want to get in a run at 4.30 in the morning? (laughs) I can tell you exactly what the answer is. And the answer is a resounding no. But if you reframe the situation to be, I want to be with these people. I want to find out how their day has been. I want to see them. I want to support them. It's a totally different mindset than, you know, do I want to get in a run at 4.30 in the morning or 5.30 in the morning? Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, this makes me think of a couple of things. Um, you know, the first thing it makes me think of is is the friendships that I have from people that I run with. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I've said, and I haven't said this in a long time because I don't coach high school runners anymore, but, um, but, but I've often said that running is the best sport because, and, and you become so close to your running friends because you, particularly if you're doing easy runs or long runs with them, because you're just hanging out with, with somebody for two hours. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many people do you have in your life that you just straight up hang out with for just hours on end? Right. And, and you have nothing to do but to talk, you know? Right. So, so, so you're not together watching a game. You're not together watching a movie. Um, you're not together doing something else that, that rather you are just sort of there together and all you can really do is run and talk. Right. Um, and, and as a result, you end up becoming really, really close to those people. Right. Swimmers, I don't think, would come become as close to one another as, as runners do because swimmers don't talk to each other during their workouts. Right. right. You're staring at the yeah. black line. Now, now, runners, when they're – now, and, and this should be said, when runners are doing a hard, hard training workout, they, they shouldn't be talking to one another either. <laughs> you know, don't get me wrong. Um, but, but at the same time, um, you know, those easy runs, those long five, six-hour bike rides you have to do if you're training for an Ironman, I mean – you end up becoming really, really close with those people because you end up spending a whole lot more time. Um, I had a friend when I was a cyclist. Um, I, I made a friend who he and I ended up riding a whole lot together. Um, he got engaged and I was in his wedding. And I dare say that in the in the year leading up to his wedding, I probably spent more one-on-one time with him than his fiance did. Right. Because we're riding bikes together. <laughs> right, right. So, and it's quality you know, time, as you yeah. said, where you're not watching a movie and right. silent. Yeah. And so, so the, those friendships are great, and that's important, and I think that's fun. Um, but it also speaks as to why you need to make sure you find the right group. Um, and then the other thing it makes me think of is, is um, some, some kind of movement that's going on inside of, of psychological circles right now. And it's based on some older research, but, but it's kind of getting increased prominence right now um, about motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just in a nutshell, the, the, the motive, the, the paradigm by which psychologists have always looked at motivation, uh, and action has presumed that motivation precedes action. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whenever you look at the, at, at the way that people become or the way that people will ultimately act, um, the, it, the, the presumption has been that we need to find a way to motivate someone in order to inspire them to action. Um, and so, so taking like your four thirty in the morning example, you know, you wake up, you need to find some motivation. So you, you, you I'm going to go see, so you actively think I'm going to go see these people and that motivates you. And then you act and you go see those people. Right. Um, there's some, there's some recent research that I was saying, it's based on some older research that suggests that, that action actually precedes motivation mm-hmm. and that, and that it should. Um, and that rather than trying to find the motivation and trying to psych yourself up and then get out the door, just don't even think about it. Just get out the door. Right. right? Um, the, the, and once you get out the door and once you actually begin the activity, then the motivation actually comes. The motivation doesn't precede action, that rather action precedes motivation. Um, and that has, that has, I think, good consequences for us as, as endurance athletes um, or good applications. I think it has profound influence for the field of psychology, by the way. But, yes. Um, but, but, um, 
for us as athletes, that means if you have that group, um, you have somebody that you know is going to be there. It's not really a choice. Right. You know, it, 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 it's, it's not, you know, you don't really have the option to be like, oh yeah, I'm going to stand that guy up. I have never in my life have I said, I'm supposed to meet this person and you know what? Hell with it, I'm not going to meet this person. You know, screw them. Right. I've never said that. Um, and, and that's the most important thing for, for a training partner to be is there, is, is present to show yes. up for, for, for that very reason. Because, because, because you just won't think about it. You'll just get up and you'll just go and, and that person will be there and you'll start your running. And then as you run, that's when the motivation will come. Yeah. yeah we talk a lot about like, you know, aerobic endurance, lactate threshold, but the most important the most critical ability of an endurance athlete is availability. <laughs> you know, yeah. just just being there, being on time, putting in the work. Um, and there's no better way to do that and to kind of set up that consistency, to set up that habit, yeah. than to run with people, to run with a group. Yeah. When I when I think about when I've when I've run the best and when I've had the big breakthroughs in my career, um, I think about the people I was I was running with and training with. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's really they, they they were a crucial component of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, always. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no better way to keep you consistent, keep you honest, and keep you excited about training mm-hmm. than a group. Yeah, which kind of ties them all together, right? Yeah. So, so that, that that consistency, that healthy, that that honest, that that listening to your body, um, that the giving those things a purpose, is kind of all tied together by by a group. Mm-hmm. Well, there you have it. The, uh, the, the primary things that, that we think about when we think about scheduling an athlete, um, we encourage you to, uh, to think about them as well, um, whether you're looking for a group to train with or whether you are, are uh, training yourself, coaching yourself. Um, these are, I think, really the things you got to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, final words, Patrick? Uh, sure. I mean, I guess it, it all kind of ties it in together to say, you know, we talk a lot about be tough, you know, but toughness is not about kind of gritting your teeth and running through a wall and kind of gritting your way through a challenge. It's about cultivating the space to make the right decisions, you know, in stressful situations or in times when you're fatigued or uncertain and not sure what to do. And so we kind of hope these principles kind of help guide you when you're, you know, trying to make the right decisions, you know, day in and day out. Right on, right on. Thanks for listening, everybody. And that does it for another episode of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. We were actually going to push out this podcast last week, this episode last week, but I got the flu. And let me tell you, folks, you do not want to get the flu. And so be as cautious as you possibly can in the midst of this uh, serious national epidemic. Uh, don't forget to visit us on Twitter, at Pleasant Podcast. Uh, check out our blog, mostpleasantexhaustion.blogspot.com. Um, and you can visit us on Facebook, facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast. Uh, let us know what you think about these core training principles, uh, whether you're ones you should add, ones you think are not really all that important, maybe should be deleted from our core training principle repertoire here. Um, visit us at itlcoaching.com, um, at itlcoaching. Um, also at facebook.com slash performance. Uh, finally, our last sponsor, don't forget about uh, Casey, my wife, the travel planner, uh, facebook.com slash MEV. Uh, you can also reach out to her on Gmail, KC Travel Planner. That's K A C I E Travel Planner at gmail.com. And as promised, she has a brand new website, KC Travel It's that easy. 
K-A-C-I-E-TravelPlanner.com. Uh, let her book the next vacation, your honeymoon, um, or of course any travel or logistics you're doing related to a race. Uh, my sister and I have just been discussing the race we might be doing together this fall, and I know that my wife is already starting to work on some of those travel accommodations. So uh, be sure to reach out to her. Thanks again for all your ratings on podcasts. Thanks again for, for all your reviews. Uh, please keep those coming, and we appreciate it. On behalf of Patrick Ollinger, this is George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.